Uh, I think that is fair yes, to I say. say. Hands to kiss and babies to shake. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think my record speaks for itself. That's a really good question. Hello and welcome to the Politically Speaking Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Jason Rosenbaum, a reporter with St. Louis Public Radio. Joining me in studio is... Joe Manis, and I'm wearing seersucker, just so people know, because oh, well, it's hot. Well, here's the reason that that, that uh, detail is important. We have with us today the tallest man who has ever lived in Missouri. <laughs> right, right. The And, and the uh, the chairman of the seersucker caucus yes, in the Missouri that's, Senate. that's yeah. one of the reasons I wore my He's not the tallest man. It's Eric Schmidt, state senator from the Glendale-Kirkwood area. But he is the tallest uh, person in the state capitol right and, now. Is that correct? And the in the history of the Missouri. Senate yeah. until uh, someone proves seriously? otherwise. Yes. Really? I, I, if Sam Page would have won that race, you would have had to stay Sam back to back because he's also very tall. Well, I do. Any candidate that's thinking about running for Senate, I do kind of do a back to back. And <laughs> people wonder why I raise this money. It's to, to put money against whoever's tall running. Who may, it's, you got to be known for something. And that's what I'm known for. Yeah. And, and, and you're a third timer on this show. Yes. Third yes. timer. So we're going to be talking a lot about Senate Bill 5, a sweeping overhaul of the state's municipal court system. Which you sponsored. And yes. um, we're going to go into depth, and then we're going to talk a little bit about veto session in 2016. So without, I mean, yeah, without right. any further ado, uh, Senate Bill 5 is now signed into law. It's going to have, a, I would say, a pretty monumental impact on St. Louis County governance and maybe governance throughout the state. Although I think it'll take a couple of years to run. And um, I must admit that I think in the initial stages, I, I didn't think it would pass in the form that it did. So you can now make fun of me for the next <laughs> 28 minutes. No, I won't do that. You were you were just asking the tough questions, which is what your job is. Uh, yeah, no, it's. Uh, I, I think it's a pretty significant uh, deal. I think... Uh, it will have an impact not only um, as far as you know municipal reform. I think it's the most significant that we've moved forward with in the history of our state. And as it relates to our municipal courts, I think there's a lot of positive changes that are going to come about because of the bill. And it, and it, you know, in many ways, it was the work of a very collaborative effort with a lot of people. I uh, certainly was proud to kind of take the lead on it. But there's a lot of people who were involved. And one of those issues that's unique in the sense that it very much united the political spectrum. And I think coming out of last summer and into the fall, and I think we talked about it maybe in November or December after I pre-filed Senate Bill 5, but um, I think like many people around the St. Louis area and across the state, um, seeing the aftermath of, of, of Ferguson and, and coming to understand a lot of the challenges that uh, some underlying issues, I did spend some time in Ferguson in those days and weeks afterwards talking to people. And uh, I grew up in North County. My parents still live in North County. My grandfather was from Ferguson. I felt a desire as a senator from St. Louis County to, to try to affect change. And in listening to people, what we discovered was that there was a breakdown of trust between people and their government and people in the courts. And as we dug into the data, we found that the abuses and the predatory practices of a lot of municipalities um, in North County, but in other places, was pretty stark and pretty significant. When you have 14 municipalities where their single biggest source of revenue is traffic tickets and fines, 81 municipal courts uh, in St. In Louis County, the 21st Judicial Circuit, which is 61 more than any other county. Um, there's, there's 61 different um, 
police departments, um, many of which aren't accredited. And as we move forward with the bill, one of the things I was very proud of is that law enforcement was standing shoulder to shoulder with us, the ACLU, and a lot of conservative. That was what I was going to do next. I just wanted, before we get into the nitty gritty, I just want to kind of detail some of the, the main aspects of Senate Bill 5. Um, the, the one that gets brought up a lot is it lowers the percentage of traffic fine revenue a city can keep from what I guess is now 30 percent to 20 percent in most of the state and then 12.5 percent in St. Louis County. Now, this is the percentage of their income that can come from such fines and fees. Right. And then it also uh, just why don't you kind of sure. explain some of the other aspects? So the way I would look at it is there's sort of three um different pillars of the bill. The first is dealing with this um, phenomenon of taxation by citation or government by speed trap where you have a lot of municipalities that are deriving a, a very high percentage of their city's budget from traffic tickets and fines. We currently have a law named after the small town, rural Max town, Creek. Max Creek, um, which was a notorious speed trap uh, that, that says that you can't derive more than 30 percent of your revenue from traffic tickets and fines. That law, truthfully, had very little teeth to it. Um, and one of the, the criticisms that we took to heart from some mayors and from some people in city government was that um, the definitions about what is revenue and, and what counts and what doesn't count was very vague and ambiguous. So we sought to clarify that language. We lowered that cap from 30 percent um, by a third in the whole state to 20 percent and almost two thirds in St. Louis County, where we saw, um, I think, a, a a proliferation of these tricks and schemes, particularly in St. Louis County. So that percentage is at 12.5%. I felt, as a senator from St. Louis County, um, I filed the bill originally at 10% across the board. I would be perfectly happy with 10%. I think if you're looking at a mix of city revenue, you know, one out of $10 coming from traffic tickets and fines is still a lot. Well, let's hit on that point. Yeah, because this has been one of my questions. um, And I asked the governor about this at the signing. Is 20% okay? The law that as now signed is 20% restriction out state, 12.5% in St. Louis County. I predict there's going to be a court fight on whether or not there's being equal treatment of and, some of these, uh, especially some of the uh, the North County municipalities that could be forced to disincorporate over this, and they may claim that they're being treated unjustly compared to small towns in. Rural Missouri. Now, before you answer that, we actually have a clip from uh, State Representative Deb Lavender. Who is he? Is she your state representative, by the way? She is. Yes, she made basically the point Joe is making, and here it is. But if you look across this state, there are other towns in counties that were as egregious in what they collected with fines and penalties as anyone in St. Louis County. So to carve us out distinctly separate from the rest of the state. I think it's not just wrong. I think there's a good likelihood it's unconstitutional. And that's the point Joe has been asking for a while about whether in a court fight, whether that disparity, I don't want to call it a disparity, but difference in percentage is going to be a a point of legal contention. So I'd like you to respond to both Joe's question and Representative Lavender's point about the percentages being unfair to St. Louis County municipalities. So first of all, um, municipalities uh, in the state of Missouri, as they are in other parts of the country, are political subdivisions of the state. Um, I think it's important to recognize the constitutional construct of how municipalities come about. The state authorizes local municipalities to enact ordinances. The state creates, in essence, these political jurisdictions. The state reserves the ability in many ways to um, 
create laws that govern those local municipalities uh, as the states came together to create the federal government. So the states really reign supreme as far as if you want to look at this way that, uh, that, our, that our governance structure is, has been created in this country. So having said that, you would have to, if, if you were to accept that argument to be true, you would have to throw out about half of the statutes in the state of Missouri that make distinctions um, in our laws as it relates to first-class counties or charter counties or a city not within a county, which is how you define in statute the city of St. Louis. You can find examples all across the board in how we try to address different issues for different parts of the state. Missouri is a very diverse state. I would have liked to have had 10% across the, the board. Um, but politics is the art of the possible. Why did that not happen? Well, I think the issue is, um, Representative Lavender's right. There are examples. Foley, Missouri, um, I forget what the exact number, but somewhere was about two-thirds of their revenue is derived from traffic tickets and fines. Max Creek. I mean, there, there's all these, there are municipalities scattered across the state um, that are violators and that this law was, is intended to change their um, behavior in many ways. Um, but I think if you look at the density and what really brought this issue to about, there is a concentration of these municipalities in St. Louis County. And I would also say that the solutions that can flow from this law are more available in many ways because of the density we have in St. Louis County. There's more of an opportunity for sharing of services. There's more of an opportunity for collaboration. In some of the small towns in rural Missouri, they don't have those same opportunities. However, I think that they are still using this very backdoor way of taxing their citizenry and passersby. But to get I think if you would have asked five years ago um, whether or not we could go from 35%, which is what it was before, to 20% with real teeth and with disincorporation on the back end as an ultimate hammer, people would have not thought that was politically possible. The idea that we could have zeroed in, I think, and focused on where a lot of our real challenges are for the people living in these communities. And so my response to Representative Lavender and others is, This fight really, at the end of the day, was about the people who are being subjected to real injustices who live in these communities that are predominantly poor and predominantly African-American. Essentially, you've created, you've pushed the furthest further into poverty. We have debtor prisons because people aren't able to pay fines for taillights being out because the municipality has failed to um, address the underlying issues and be honest with their situation, make the tough decisions. I'm glad that you mentioned poor and African-American municipalities, because that's been another criticism of this bill, that the end result is going to be that many of the cities that are most affected, which are in North St. Louis County, are predominantly African-American. They're African-American-led. If they dissolve and disincorporate, they're going to be led by a county government, which only has one African-American official, how, how would you respond to that argument? Sure, and, I, and I've and i worked with, I chair the uh, the Senate Committee on Economic Jobs, Economic Development, and Local Government. So sometimes the economic development issues get um, more attention, but this year the local government issues got more attention. In that capacity, I've worked with a lot of mayors in North County, and before we went into session um, and early on, I had meetings with some of the North County mayors who've expressed this uh, same concern. My retort to that is that um, my interest really isn't making sure someone maintains a government position or being mayor or being city manager of a municipality. My goal was trying to trying to right some wrongs for the people who live in those communities. When you see long lines of people waiting to get into a municipal court at 10 o'clock at night next to a pawn shop, it shocks the conscience. Mm-hmm. And regardless of your party affiliation or your race or any of the other things that we put in these little boxes, I think it, it, it encouraged all of us and made us all work together to try to find solutions. So we, this was a very bipartisan effort 
um, in the Senate and in the House. Mm. Um, it's not unanimous, but I think a 31 to 3 vote in the Senate, and I think they had 100 and almost 140 votes in the House. When I was talking with Brendan Rodiger, who's from the St. Louis University Law School, who I think generally supported Senate Bill 5, I think he actually mm-hmm. worked with it. He brought up this point, which I'm about to play, which kind of goes part and parcel with the argumentation that it may affect black-led municipalities more compared to other municipalities. Using percentage of revenue to measure courts is an absurd measurement. Um, What it really tells you is that a municipality is poor. Um, So, for instance, Berkeley and Richmond Heights are basically the same size. They get the same amount of money from their court. The percentage is far lower in Richmond Heights because it has other revenue. It does not make Richmond Heights court any better. The point that he's getting at is if you look at the amount of fine money some of the West County cities get, like town and country, like Richmond Heights isn't West County, but, you know, it's a more wealthy municipality. They still get a lot of money from traffic fines. I think town and country is well over a million dollars. But since it's not a high percentage, they basically won't be affected by this bill, even though they may be benefiting just as much as a city where the percentage is higher. So is this bill letting richer municipalities in St. Louis County off the hook? Well, town and country is affected by the bill because of the percentage of 12 and a half uh, percent. I stand corrected. But but I understand the point that's being made. But in many ways, the rate of the criminalization of poverty is higher in these municipalities that get such a disproportionate amount of revenue from traffic tickets and fines. Look, and that's not the only thing we did with the bill, but just to spend a little bit more time on that particular point, you know, I, you know, and I'll and I'll keep using this example. And, and I said before, thank goodness, my my grandmother um, does not have the same last name as me in St. Anne. But St. Anne, could, there could not be a more emblematic example of the problem. OK, St. Anne, um, six years ago, had a mall and had sales tax revenue from the mall. They wrote about a thousand tickets and got about a half a million dollars of the fines from those. The mall closed. Now they write 9,000 tickets and get about $3 million worth of revenue from traffic tickets and fines. Okay. So you don't, yeah, I I mean, you don't have to be a rocket science to figure it out. It's about revenue. Just down the road, another half mile in the city of Edmondson, the mayor included in the paychecks of the police officers a year ago, reminding them that their salaries and their jobs are based on the amount of tickets they write. And so guess what happened? The amount of tickets that they wrote in the city of Edmondson went up. In Bell Fountain Neighbors, a little bit further north, they not only had traffic ticket quotas, or as they referred to them as activity requirements, they had arrest activity requirements. And so, you know, is this one measure? Yeah, it's a, it's a very important indicator, but it, it, is, it, is, it gets to the root of this idea that local government is viewing their citizens as nothing more than ATMs. And I don't mean that as a talking point. I mean that as a reality of how it's actually playing out in the lives of people who are making $30,000 a year, trying to get the work. They run the gauntlet on St. Charles Rock Road and pass a dozen municipalities, all of which are hungry for their own revenue source, and live in fear of being pulled over and maybe end up being in jail, ending up in jail because they have the taillight out. So something has gone really wrong, I think, in the way that we view local government. And so I don't care who's the mayor, if it's an African-American mayor, a white mayor of any of these municipalities, whether it's in North County, South County, or West County, if you view your citizens in that way, Um, reform is coming. And the consequences now are very serious. It's no longer saying, oh, we forgot to turn in the financial statement of the auditor. It is, you do this. And if you don't remit the excess of that 12.5% to to the county school fund in 60 days, disincorporation is automatically on the ballot. 
and you also have a number of municipal reforms. And so as we segue probably into like the next phase of the pillar, which is these municipal standards and then later, you know, the municipal court reforms, these are very serious consequences for offending municipalities. And I just think that this region will look dramatically better in a decade because of these changes. Now, how soon do you think some residents or motorists or whatever will start to see an impact from this bill? Do you think it's going to be six months, six years? I'm just interested in kind of how the effect people will actually start seeing an effect. Well, it's funny because I saw uh, at the bill signing last week, uh, former police chief Tim Fitch, who came and testified. Yeah, who in I fa- interviewed. Yes. Who in favor of the bill was was telling people to be uh, be very aware of these speed traps on Highway 70 for the next six months as they try to write as many tickets as they can before the law goes into effect in their next fiscal year. That's a very, um, I hope he's not right about that. But I think what you're already starting to see is municipalities finally the offending municipalities because there's a lot of municipalities that are not offending municipalities including municipalities in north county um that don't view their citizens in this way and haven't conjured up these new and innovative schemes to reach into people's pockets without asking them to do so um but i think what you're starting to see now is some of these munis having to to they're being forced to look at these questions that they've been able to avoid for literally at least a decade because they've been able to just you know, replace that revenue with, with, and there had been no real attention on it. And I think all of this stuff was right under our noses. And I think as, as we moved, you know, away from the immediate aftermath of Ferguson, we started to look at, and, and this is to credit to a lot of news outlets, including national news outlets that really shone a light on the injustices that play out in our municipal courts. But we were able to, I think as a region, as a state, um, look at it, assess it, and make changes. And that does not always happen in politics. I think we're very used to the idea that people don't come together for some solutions. And I'm very proud of the fact that we did do that. And you had a broad coalition working for that. You're like a human segue machine because yeah. um, <laughs> because one of the things that has been brought up a lot about this bill is it's the main Ferguson-related bill to actually pass and be signed by the governor. I put Ferguson-related in quotes because it's a subjective thing. But the thing that I noticed is when looking at the percentage of revenue of these cities, Ferguson, I think, had about 15 percent. Right. So I asked Mayor Knowles about how he thought this particular bill would impact his city, which has been under the national spotlight. Here's what he had to say. Ferguson has become a symbol. And anytime I read anymore whether or not it, quote, affects Ferguson, I just take it as they mean the symbol and not the city. Um, I don't know. I don't know if the person saying it means the city or the symbol, but I, from what I know, the reality is no. Ferguson has never been one of those communities who gets, um, you know, huge portions of our revenues from fines and forfeitures. Uh, we don't even rank in the top 20. So, I mean, this this is a semantical thing because when I looked at the numbers, I think that Mayor Knowles' statement is is accurate. I don't think you're even close to a place like Pine Lawn or Belfonte Neighbors or Normandy. So is it a misnomer to call this a Ferguson-related bill if it doesn't even really affect Ferguson that much? I think in the attention that that followed um, the unrest in Ferguson, um, issues came to light that need to be addressed, and this is one of them. So I I don't get caught up in how, you know, people define it. I think this is a, as as the governor even said, the most historic municipal reform bill in the history of the state. And so I think that you can look back and say that, that some of the issues that that were um, studied, written about, and the data came out, you know, are related to that kind of self-assessment that that takes place after something like that. I think that um, the percentages again are a part of it, 
um, as we move into, you know, kind of the municipal standards portion of the bill, you can you can relate that to Ferguson or surrounding communities or other communities in St. Louis County and other you know communities other places. Just, just kind of explain what the sure. Municipal so standards so are. there's a number of standards now, minimum standards that um, when you hear them sound very basic and you assume that most municipalities in fact do have these having adequate insurance, having a balanced budget, an annual audit, an annual audit, and maybe perhaps the most significant piece of that, which is in St. Louis County, having an accredited police department. I, I agree. I think that may end up being the most Im- impactful aspect of the bill because I cannot imagine that some of the police departments that have been writing all these tickets like St. Anne or Pine Lawn or maybe even to some extent Normandy, although I think it's a little bit more advanced than some of them, I'm not sure how they're going to get accredited in six years. I'm I'm thinking that they're going to basically either going to have to get accredited or the city's going to have to contract with somebody else. Yeah, probably St. Louis County. I mean, this could add more officers to St. Louis County. St. Louis County may become more of a regional uh, police department, which depending on one's outlook is good or bad. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, say, I mean, w- that is going to ultimately be a local decision. But, but St. Louis County is an internationally accredited police right. department, and there Correct. are not that many of those around. Um, you have, I think, there's 14 um, municipalities of the 61 that have that are currently accredited. There's a number of those munis that are currently going through that process. The municipal standards for all the other measures was a three-year period of time to phase into that. This is six years because we wanted to, because it takes about five or six years to get through that accreditation process. So we wanted the municipalities that 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 believe this is the direction they want to go, the time to be able to do it. But I think you combine, you know, you got some cities right now that get 40 and 50% of their revenue from traffic tickets and fines, and they don't have an accredited police department. This bill, those two particular provisions are going to force some, I think, real positive changes. You have just, and, and this is a topic for another show, but layers and layers of taxing jurisdictions on top of one another in, in um, St. Louis County. I think this, at the at net result of all of this, will be is going to be better for the taxpayers and certainly better, better for the citizens who find themselves ensnared in these you know, schemes of, of taxation by citation. So I think the municipal standards, which, by the way, also have the hammer of disincorporation on the back yes, end. Yes, they do. Uh, yeah. There has been an effort going back at least 30 years to try to reduce the number of uh, municipalities in St. Louis County, which now has around 90. Uh, And it's rather funny, in a way, that this bill could end up doing what several county executives, I remember Gene McNary's big effort back in the 1980s, couldn't do, I mean, just because of a different route. Do you have any prediction on how many, I mean, without naming any names, just do you have any thoughts? If Are we talking 10, 20, or 30 municipalities that might not be around in five years? So I take a, and Joe, I know you'll appreciate this and probably Jason too, I tend to be a student of history and-, and uh, Yes, we talk a lot about if you books. If you look at the history of this region, the way I look at it, I take a kind of a philosophical view of this. In my view, this is Eric Schmidt's perspective here. You have three potential phases, this being the third. You have the first phase, which is in 1876, you have this great divorce, right, where the city of St. Louis was booming, one of the first home rule cities, um, thought it had all the land it needed. In fact, there was an election um, where it lost the uh, the city separating from the county. Correct. And then uh, through uh, some lawsuits and some question, maybe some corruption, Correct. The, the results changed. 
And that was a, um, regardless of how you look, a very fateful decision, okay? Then you have, in my view, the next sort of epoch, right? You have the post-war building boom in St. Louis County and a lot of families moving into the county You ha- in the 50s and the 60s. And the city's uh, population plummeting over the city, about 40 years. The city's years. population changing. But in many ways, and still true to this day, kind of the similar population of about a million, you know, million and a half people yes. kind of moving in different places. But you also have in that era, post-war era, of a lot of these, the proliferation of some of these municipalities. Um, you also have the charter change that took place, which was very forward thinking um, by St. Louis County fathers, so to speak, in the sense that St. Louis County really was the first county to move in the direction of having a board of directors with a county executive deciding the budget, a very small number of people elected in the county to make important, big, long-term decisions. And um, and that's kind of where we've been, right, for about 50 years yes. now. Yes. I do think that Senate Bill 5 and its impact will, will um, allow us an opportunity over the next 10 years to make some very strategic decisions that will happen locally. I mean, in many ways, it's the right way to go about doing this. You see a problem, you try to address it. The residents in those communities are going to be able to decide, is it best for five municipalities within two square miles to all have their own police department, all have their own city attorney, all have their own municipal judge, all have their own mayor, all have their own Boulder of Alderman, all drawing down a salary. Is that the best way to do it? If that's the best way to do it, we will continue on that path. We've never had an opportunity for that dynamic to really change. I think Senate Bill 5 in some of the municipalities that have engaged in these predatory practices, that opportunity for change is coming. So whether that means um, consolidating with another municipality, emerging, staying the same, contracting for services, or sharing services among those several municipalities, I really don't know where that is going to go. But for the first time, there's an opportunity for there to be a different kind of governance structure in St. Louis County, and that is significant. And I think the legacy of Senate Bill 5 is to correct many of the injustices, which I do want to get to the third part of the municipal court reforms and the way that's playing out for people in our community, but also uh, uh, what we also, I think, found in the aftermath of uh, Ferguson was that um, – there probably is a better way. Who, who, who are people talking to? Was it the Ferguson police chief, the St. Louis County police chief? Was it the local mayor? Was it the county executive? Was it the mayor of St. Louis? Was it the governor? Was it the highway patrol? People who were coming from the outside had to be very confused about, you know, what, who was in charge and how decisions are made around here. And I think we've got an opportunity for some real substantive change. And that does not come along every day. Now, I predict, and not, not that anybody cares, but I predict within five years there will be between five and ten disincorporations I, I, or mergers. I think that's very possible. I, uh, first of all, I just there are some, at least a handful, that off the bat that um, is going to be very challenging for them to maintain their bloated government structure with the same revenue streams that they currently rely on, principally. Tra- speed traps, traffic tickets and fines, using their municipal courts as a way to generate revenue. That's happening. And there are still some deniers out there that don't believe that that's the case and that because, you know, they're able to f- fix a sidewalk 
um, on some street that that's the best governance structure. I happen to disagree. So, is this the the significant uh, the only significant legislation that's going to come out of the Ferguson protests, or is there something else? Well, I mean, I think we worked on some other bills. I mean, we worked on uh, the use of force policy. We worked on some of the privacy issues as it relates to body cams. But I don't think just to say it's one bill um, does justice to the to the level of reform that this does introduce. And and then maybe this is a good segue to the municipal court. Because we've talked about percentages and role of government, then we've talked about these municipal standards, which, um, again, people are shocked to find out that many municipalities don't employ any of these practices. Um, but, you know, within our municipal courts, I mean, I think these were some of the things that were most shocking because it got to a very fundamental sense of fairness and justice that, that regardless of your political affiliation or whether you're conservative or liberal, you didn't want that to be a, a courtroom in the United States of America. You didn't want the idea that 40% of our municipal courts didn't allow, in St. Louis County, didn't allow kids in the courtroom. You didn't like the idea that people were choosing between a babysitter and paying a fine. You didn't like the idea that somebody would call a, a municipal clerk um, who, to pay half of a fine and the clerk would say, no, absolutely, you have to pay the full amount, knowing that they couldn't pay the full amount. Don't like the idea that somebody in the typical situation has a taillight out they're going to work. They have to plan for that repair, and then they get pulled over. And, they, and life happens. That these court dates are in the evening. They miss the court date. Um, a separate charge of failure to appear, which, by the way, is we get rid of the separate charge of failure to appear, which is this scenario where a hundred dollar fine went from to an eight hundred dollar fine. People were being, you know, thrown into debt and being thrown in jail because they they couldn't pay a fine on a municipal code violation, which is what these are. These are municipal ordinance violations. These are civil infractions that people were going to jail for for a fine until the next court date. So some people were in jail for two or three weeks before they could see a judge. Um, again, that shocked the conscience. I think that there's real reforms here. You, you have to be able to see a judge within 48 or 72 hours, depending on the underlying offense. We get rid of the separate charge of failure to appear. Um, no longer can you go to jail just for your inability to pay one of these civil infractions. We're um, uh, authorizing alternative um, sentencing, community service, payment plans, which were not being employed by these municipal courts. Um, I mean, the impact, I think, is, is very significant. And so when you talk about what came out of the legislative session, there's about a dozen things in this bill alone that were serious problems that have now been addressed. And I think it'll be important for lawmakers and other people to keep an eye on and make sure that, that there's compliance. One other question I want to get at, and we're, we're running on a time because we've gone so in depth. There have been a number of reports about how some cities are responding to Senate Bill 5 by either being more aggressive with non-traffic ordinance violations. Um, for example, Hanley Hills had something with occupancy permits. People My been, dad's from Hanley Hills. Yeah. And grew up. <laughs> People have been calling that a loophole. And in my mind, I think it's kind of a different situation because they're basically targeting residents of the city with those. And I think if they do that too much, the residents are going to go and basically throw these people out of office and repeal these ordinances. But is that going to be an unintended consequence that cities end up trying to depend on non-traffic fine revenue going forward? Yeah, it's hard to account for um, behavior that uh, um, you don't you know, agree with necessarily. We'll have to keep an eye on it. I mean, we'll have to be vigilant. I mean, again, I chair that committee, um, but I've only, got, you know, I've only got a year left in the Senate. And so hopefully that, that we'll maintain um, a certain level of, of vigilance. But, uh, but I think the idea, what we've done is, I think we've signaled a big culture change 
about how we our expectations of local government, which is local governments don't exist for their own purposes. They don't exist to to um, you know kind of continue um, uh, a culture of viewing people as nothing more than ATMs to fund budget projections. You had literally these a lot of these cities projecting more revenue in the next fiscal year from traffic tickets and fines. And that, again, tells you all you need to know about what this is really about. It had less to do with enforcement. It had more to do with revenue. And so we'll, we'll keep an eye on that and make sure that, that there aren't other abuses that come to light. But uh, And I'm certainly more than willing to um, move forward with other reforms. I can tell you a year ago, um, Senate Bill 5, these issues were, were not on the legislative radar screen. And so I think you have to be willing to listen to people, and I intend to do that in the fall and leading up to January in the next legislative session, and and just be listen listen to people, and regardless of what their um, political affiliation is, a good idea is a good idea, and we'll move forward with it if it makes sense. We're going to segue very quickly. It's the lightning round of veto <laughs> session. Uh, I think the big issue that's going to come up in September is uh, right to work. It may not come up. It's going to start in the House. It's going to be a decision for uh, House Speaker Todd Richardson to make about whether he brings it up. Uh, first of all, you voted to uh, you voted for right to work. You had been endorsed by labor unions in the past. Have you gotten a lot of heat for that vote? And do you expect it to be a big issue going forward? I mean, I you know have been um, uh, I think right, as chairman of the economic development committee, I've been in enough rooms with site selectors and other people to know that the best way to ensure your competitiveness as a state is to be a low tax. Uh, right to work state. It doesn't guarantee you're going to get every potential manufacturing uh, project, but it is on whether it's number one or 10 or 15 or two on somebody's list, it's on every list. So I do think it makes Missouri a more competitive place. But will it come up? Um, I don't know. I mean, I think um, so. We were 17 votes short in the House, I believe that was the yes. number, and two votes in the Senate. Um, I think that that number narrows significantly as we approach. September, I would not presume to get into the whip count of of the House members and their leadership. Because the Senate is very tricky because you have the four people that voted against it were Senators Ryan Silvey, Gary Romine, uh, Paul Wieland, and Tom Dempsey. And two of them are running for re-election next year in districts with a lot of union populations. One of them is from Jeffco, which has probably the most ardent and well-organized organized labor force. Mm-hmm. And he's so, and I, I know that people, Wieland, yeah. I know people are doubting that Wheeland is going to, not going to stand firm on it, but he has been so on the record being against right to work. He would look like a gigantic hypocrite if he voted for it. So I just don't know if the math is there. Is that what your, your situation I don't, is? I, I really, I, um, I think a lot of people after we, um, you know, because I was at the forefront of the tax cut debate in mm-hmm. the last, you know, in those battles um, and to try to get the first tax cut in 100 years. And we were short the first go around. And then, you know, in the second go around, we, we had the numbers. I think that um, I do think that the number narrows. I think if the if it gets out of the House and comes over to the Senate, um, you know, uh, we'd be very close to right to work passing and the dynamic probably changes a little bit. So, but it's hard for me to say because because you, you you probably have of those 17 or I've been told of those 17 that voted no in the House. You know, some of those folks didn't think it'd get through the Senate. Some of them didn't think it would become law. So how that dynamic changes as they approach September be interesting because there really hasn't been a ton of attention on it yet. But as we get past, I think, um, the 4th of July, which is where we're at right. now, you've really got 
But just know. to make things so, clear, if it comes up for a veto override, you're going to be a yes vote on oh, it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you already voted for it, but I'm just making that clear. Yes. So so are the donors, I know there's independent groups on both sides that have spent some money on ads and will be coming back with more. But are the donors uh, starting to wield their muscle? Because I know there's a number of prominent Republican donors. And you could really also say the donors on the Democratic side may be wielding their exactly, muscle, too. Exactly, yeah. I, exactly. I, I don't know. I mean, I really haven't been in part of many of those conversations. But I, I would expect that, given the stakes of the override in September, that both sides will be engaged in trying to convince people to vote yes or is no. Is there any, yeah, yeah, any there, other issue? Now, the, the other issue that may come up is that bill that banned the minimum wa- local minimum wage and plastic bag ordinances. Do you think that gets co- comes up for an override, or uh, do you think that maybe it just dies because it may be easier to kill a minimum wage without it? I, I think there's two issues there. One is I'd be fine with the veto override because we already did it. I don't remember exactly what the numbers were, but per- personally, I you know, um, the, the law is, in my view, very clear right now that you can't have pockets, you can't have cities scattered across the state with different minimum wage in the state. The law is clear on that right now. So whether we override or not, to me, um, probably it doesn't matter as a matter of law. If it, if it sends a political statement, we may do it. I actually think it may be easier to kill a minimum wage increase on a local level if you don't override that bill, not just because of that statute that you alluded to, but because there are several court cases dealing with charter authority that have been decided, which may strike it down. That's getting way into the weeds. But Another that's why show. I wonder that's why I wonder whether it may make more sense just to let it die on the vine. Basically. Yeah, I don't know. I, I do happen to serve in Senate leadership as the caucus chairman. So I'm sure we, we annually we have a meeting where we talk about the bills that are going to come up. Um, it wouldn't surprise me at all if we brought it up for a veto override and overrode the veto. But as a practical matter, as it relates to the city of St. Louis or Kansas City increasing their minimum wage beyond the state minimum wage, I don't have think they have the legal authority. Any to do other that. bill that you think comes up? Well, interestingly, um, because of what happened, there are fewer bills that are vetoed this yes. year, probably because of the last week of session and everything that went on. But uh, so th- those are probably the two that have gotten the most attention. Um, probably in the press that, that people are waiting to see. So clearly the right, right to work is the big issue in veto. What wow. about the Im- immigration bill that the governor just vetoed a couple of days ago? Vetoed the bill that would have barred ch- children of yeah. illegal immigrants from getting um, college help. I could see that coming up. We have not been bashful at all in the last two years of overriding the governor. I think that uh, we overrode the governor if you include the appropriations bills last year some like like 50 or 60 times. So we're certainly not afraid to bring those issues up, and that could be another one. I just I don't know. I wouldn't want to speak for the House, and I wouldn't want to speak for my Senate colleagues yet as what bills would come up, but it wouldn't surprise me if that came up. Thank you very much, as always, for, for coming to our show. To close this out, you can follow all of our stories at stlpublicradio.org. You can follow me on Twitter at Jay Rosenbaum. You can follow Joe Manis on Twitter at Jay Manis. That's J M A N N I E S. And you can follow the senator on Twitter at Eric underscore Schmidt S C H M I T T. I was thinking it was going to be tallest man in Missouri, <laughs> all caps. Too long of a title. Too long. We'll be back next week. Until then, so long. I'm out for presidents to represent me. I'm out for presidents to represent me. I'm out for dead presidents to represent me. The world is this. The world is yours. The world is yours.